summer, 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 is generally the time where we get to get away from it all. It's February now, or at the end of February, I should say. I I don't know how that happened, but as the summer break has uh, peeled away from our various backs and bank accounts, it now seems like life is getting back to normal, whatever that means. Did you have a nice break? Where did you go? How long for? Today, we're going to look at the batch and the nightclub. These are buildings that are built to take us away from all of our other buildings. Batches and nightclubs are both escapes. One is a form of leisure that comes via occupying a second home, located at a distance from regular life, whatever that means. Nightclubs, on the other hand, are urban forms of leisure. They are escapes from your normal life too, but their escape is a more affordable one. You know the uh, Lake Edge building at Taupo, the white one? We've got a holiday home next to that. I see. And this house was, that was getting built at the same time as this house was built. So we built this on a 1,200 square metre piece of land and then the neighbour shifted out and we bought him and that got this pool in. Oh, I see. So now we'll probably go from there to there to there to there to there to there to there. The only problem is it should be in Remier in Auckland, shouldn't it? Do you spend much time in Auckland? Yeah, got a house in Auckland. To there, to there. So they're multi-million dollar houses there, so... Yeah, I was going to say, you've done really well. Taupo here. How often do you get to Auckland? Oh, we're up there all the time. We go up on Tuesday and come back on Friday. We just fly up and back. To there, to there, to there, to there, to there. He kukunga whare e kitia, he kukunga ngako e kore kotia. The corners of the house may be seen and experienced, not the corners of the heart. I read this whakatoki at the second-hand bookshop I work at on Jervois Road. I spent the summer working at the shop, smiling either side of the white foam, pashmina and pinafores, each picking up the Pattersons and Picolt paperbacks for the partners at Piha, maybe a box set of Beasts, Buckingham and Bad Dads to bring back to the batch at Bethel's for the billionaire boys, or, or even orange zest recipes for the Oval Office at Omaha. Lol. <laughs> but working at the bookshop over summer, serving some lucky batch goers and hearing about all their places, I facetiously thought about that line from one of those famous architects, you know, the, the guy that said something like they thought they needed another home, but really they needed a divorce. Sorry, that was, that was actually, that was quite bitchy. I don't actually know any of these batch goers. Um, I don't know their lives and I don't know who they are uh, and I don't know what they want. What I mean is I think about how much they've been looking forward to getting away and I wonder what they're getting away from. How was your summer? Did, did you have a nice break? Where did you go? And how long for? And what did you feel you needed a break from? He kokonga fare e kitia, he kokonga ngako e kore kotia. The corners of the house may be seen and experienced, but, but less so the corners of the heart. Buildings might give us four walls to look at and to occupy, but the heart, the recesses of our insides hide so much more than we care to explain 
or explore. Oh my God, I didn't know that rhymed. So much more than we care to explain or explore. More than my, you know, bitchy line about divorce could ever reveal. Why were people so keen to escape Auckland? Could it be that our buildings that are built to get away from all of our other buildings? Could it be that they provide a space to feel around in the corners of what cannot be seen? Our secrets, our fears, our griefs, our losses, our desires. Some things are seen and some things are not seen. And the view looks different depending on which side of the wall you are standing on and what building you get to get away for the weekend in. In the dark future, I've got a lighter and a high-vis Where I try to live righteous and live under rich white kids Why? Cause I plan to stay alive and keep my joints alight But my knees fucked up, my back hurts, my bank's dirt But I wake up every morning, have a shower for breakfast Chuck on my high-vis, then I gap to work Where the new stock of broken workers But it's not what we planned when we were kids I wasn't a planned kid Traded some headspace with some space head and some blankets I sat with the black kids in the back of the class In our lower class, this our one school where we had more chance of orchestrating a crime than playing an instrument. The band of bandits. Lunch men bull rush into the teacher's bandit. Big hits were the standard, but they didn't understand it. They didn't understand us, just thinking they can rank us. So I just fucking ran cuz, and I just kept on running, till I was chasing tail in the rat race. I chased the hood rat bait, the flat rate of minimum wage. I exchanged my blood for your chump change. Some bloody fucking money Because I thought that a band-aid would fix a bad day But then the rain came and couldn't dilute the blood spill from excessive overtime The living righteous trying to make sense of a dollar sign Wake, shower, work and die And in this lifetime our prayers never made it as high as the pair of Nikes on the power line But I cross every line to get on top like a fraction Non-stop action to go limp like a fractured shin Hobble around, chuck some mice on it then get back at it again I became conditioned as long as I'm still moving, I can skip like the terms and conditions. Cause it's just the fucking life that I'm living. The one where my high vis reflects the brown skin that I'm wearing. The one when I lose my weekends to meetings, cause the nine to five is eight until I die. So when that time comes, I want you to bury me in the Kumara fields where my dad spent his time. Cause I'm Tucky with his finest if you haven't heard. Just trying to live righteous and live under rich white kids. Why? Cause I wanna stay alive and keep my joints alight But my knees fucked up My back hurts My bank's dirt But I still wake up every morning Have the same shower for breakfast Chuck on my high vis Then I get to work I became a slave to the same system They trapped my dad in But I told my mum I make it Even if all I have is broken addiction And a drug addiction A hoary complex But I say fuck it Ko jai naranoa saukruk ahu I'm 21 years old, trying to live righteous, because I'm Tucky Weather's finest. Yeah. I messed up my name, bro. A <laughs> line saying my Oh, I said core, yeah. What, jaw? I was thinking of the giant part. Some things are seen, and some things are not seen, and the view looks different depending on which side of the wall you are standing on and what building you get to get away for the weekend in. Me personally, 
while my batch is a $10 red. That's not a line I use to glorify drinking. That's a line that asks about the access one feels they have in a built world and how one might access a sense of escape or holiday or break from reality within their means. He kokonga fare e kitia, he kokonga ngako e kurekotia. I think about the corners of my own heart. There are many stories and, and names and scars. There are experiences and bruises and unfulfilled hopes. Too many to properly explain or explore for fear that my world might split right open entirely. I cannot see what I cannot explain. So instead, we dance. We've got batch, we've got holiday home, we've got beach house. Yeah. No, what would you kind of define those terms as? Do you well, you can't build a batch anymore, basically. No, okay. It's just a mold, it's gone. It's a thing of the past. Really? Yeah, I reckon. They were quite subversive because they were built outside the regulations mm. and built on somebody else's land and it was over the boundary and it was built out of scruffy old bits of material and was uninsulated and, you know, you can't do any of that anymore. Yeah. Remember, folks, this is an architecture podcast, so I must ask a self-ingratiating question that inevitably places my industry as the most important part of the problem. <clears throat> How might architecture provide us a place where it is safe to reveal parts of ourselves that we might not get to see very often? To explore this lofty and wafty question. Karaoke with Pete Bosley, of course. Mm -hmm. I spent a lot more time in a batch than a nightclub recently, unfortunately. <laughs> I designed a few nightclubs. So, oh, am I the batch? Okay. Oh, I, I wouldn't mind being the nightclub. All right. The nightclub takes place in the city. It is an urban form of leisure. Nightclubs could be seen as lowbrow. Conventionally, they are considered problematic, patented by the adolescent, clouded by drinking, drugs, and antisocial behaviour all through the night. Ooh, hey. In Aotearoa, New Zealand, with its incredible landscapes, we have a prominent batch culture throughout the country. Yeah. Often, the batch dynamic begins in a city, and its traffic jams before joining the motorway en route to a remote and idyllic area for leisure within a reasonable driving distance from said city. The nightclub is a cheap and local option for escape. It is not utopia, but the nightclub has an important, though not exclusive, role for minority groups and adolescent youth. Its presence has had imperfect impact on its own culture and history of inclusion acceptance and minority-based facilitators. You got me feeling. In this way, the nightclub has a subversive role, having some form of activism or resistance against the dominant stream. The nightclub also acts as an important institution of culture, community and representation for the city. It is a floor for the many, not for the few. Batch culture is seen as highbrow. If people are able to afford a batch, it is an achievement. They most likely already own property, at least a personal house. 
dispatch culture values the idea of working for a holiday home to share with the family. Its story is very wholesome, of Western convention, and sunny, very sunny. As we consider the nightclub, we commonly associate the demographic trends with the city's youth, dancing with vapes, and a growingly uncertain future. This most likely means that they are renters, possibly distant from family, not owning any property. As we make these comparisons, we can position the intentions of the nightclub alongside that of the batch. They are both providing escapism. Compared to a night out dancing, the batch is an expensive and remote practice of leisure, and indeed a quieter one, escape. A desire that both requires money and numbs our care for it, where nothing matters so that we might because, and I've got to say it, life is a batch. <laughs> well done. Yeah, well done. Good. Nice writing. Do you um do you remember saying this, um, Pete? Uh, you that you use what is suggested by the land, the site the poetic nature and qualities of the place of which it's located? I think architecture's job is to improve upon what's there. No, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm might be slightly tragic, but I actually believe that every good landscape is improved by a great building. You know? <laughs> and uh, so it's our responsibility to try and make sure that we do good buildings that um, pick up on the poetry of the landscape and reinforce it. How do you feel differently as you arrive to Oro Bay? I normally just let out a big breath. Yeah. It's a sigh of relief. The breathing of the ocean, you know, the coming and the going of it so intimately uh, close to us here and having it in or out and the, the, the daily change that comes with that, it's pretty special. Yeah. And it's something we all share. And, you know, you just, if you do walk along, you see people just sitting gazing out to ocean for hours, you know, they're just looking, yes. the day just goes and you're just looking at the ocean. But actually just having it in the back of your nut is really good. You know, even when you're in the city, just knowing that it's here, you don't have to come, just knowing Oh, that's it's, me it's with my parents' house. Yeah, mm. yeah it's, it gives you a little sense of slowness and peace just by having that awareness. It's a it's a privilege. And, and, and I think as long as you know it's here, it has a presence in your mind. Mm. But when it's actually not there, it's like when your parents pass away and then the family home gets sold, then that presence also is taken out of your mind. Yes. And and, and gone. Yeah, yes. and that's a really quite confrontational, you know. So mm. it's it's as a as a kind of uh, conceptual uh, presence to have the batch in there in the back of your mind is a really nice is a nice feeling. And I can't even imagine how Iwis feel looking around at land. I know. <laughs> Batch was an it's a nostalgic idea. The reality was actually often pretty grim. Yes, you know, um, they were not pleasant places often. How come? They were, well, they were cold and wet and damp and smelly and and only really good in the summer. Yeah, yeah. They were about living, that's kids living and growing up outside and people going fishing and all that kind of stuff. But as pieces of architecture, they were more romantic than than. Uh, successful. I see. They were sustainable because people just kept adding to them and if they leaked, they, you fixed it, you know, and that was, but not, yeah. not because they were well built or anything. 
So more the way you've built this is keeping the values of that batch system being this iterative add as you go done safely and correctly and yeah. warm and dry and and comfortably so well we, if we start here as you say it was brown so the whole thing was brown outside and it had brown William Morris type wallpaper inside mm-hmm. and before we had the red box up there we used to sleep here so that's we designed that sofas to become the, the two on the other side are on wheels and they swing around and become a double bed Yes. So we used to sleep in this room every night because it's nice to be close to the sea. Yeah. And at that stage, it was just you two here? Oh, mm-hmm. yes, kids, grandkids yeah. and stuff. And How many grandchildren children. do you have? Six girls. Wow. Six girls. <laughs> yes, hence the yeah. wheels. Yeah. yeah. Flexible yeah. is good. Yeah. So then we sat here and we designed extension, which turned into the red up there. Yeah, Bye so let's go and have a look. Yeah. Ah, well, colour. <laughs> yeah, well, the simplistic way of putting it is that um, yellow is my favourite colour and red is Mia's favourite colour. Yeah, so and uh, when we were sitting down at that table and I had this thing drawn up on SketchUp, just a lumpy thing of it, I said to Mia, what colour should this be? And she said, oh, it's got to be red. It's got to be red? It's simple as that, really. <laughs> We've oh, had people yeah. stand on the beach and just shout to us and say, love the colour of your badge. Yes. And we'd never have got people getting that much joy out of it if it had been brown or green or something. You know, of course, be, yeah, of so course not. People do enjoy it. It doesn't, it's not distracting no, because it sits within the yeah. Pahutukawa. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's well, sort of course, it's, um, it's supposed to be brown or green or something to comply with the uh, council regulations. That's actually what I wanted to ask was when you talked about the space of since you came in 97, um, Aotearoa being a more gentrified was the word you used in the yeah. article yeah. with more dimmer colours. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the council code had a limitation on uh, reflectivity and colours and and it listed all sorts of things like typical brown and green and relatively dark. To blend. Mm. (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, the batch tradition of colourful buildings was present along here a little bit, but a lot of them have been painted out cream and white and off-white and stuff. Yeah, but the old ones were, were yellow. Some of the older ones still had some colour. Would that be typical of around the country? Yeah. Brighter yeah, colours? They've gone, mm. yeah. And I remember the old days they used to call it, if you had a bright coloured house, when I was growing up, they would be called Maori colours. Okay. You know, which because was an insult because, you know, only Maori would paint their houses such horrible colours. Yeah, I find the word gentrification and its relationship to colour really interesting because yeah. it is that, I mean, it's, it's that whitewashing quite almost yeah. literally. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave a, a series of talks around the country recently to the Arts and Decorative Arts Society. Decorative Arts and Society, something, yeah. They normally bring people out from England to give talks, but they couldn't do that under COVID, so they had to settle for people like me. (laughs) And uh, one of the things I said in one of them was that I think, uh, I was talking about colour and I said that I think torp is a word that should be banned from the English language. Mm. I could see all these ladies in their torp cardigans all sort of shuffling. (laughs) (laughs) And some of them came up to me afterwards and said, Oh, so look, I'm very taut, sorry. <laughs> I've got this theory that the Resource Management Act is uh, based on a sense of guilt that we shouldn't be here. Mm. And at the heart of it is, a, is an, a belief that we haven't really arrived or we shouldn't have arrived. So we have to, everything we do to comply with that act is to minimise and and that terrible word mitigate, they use, you have to mitigate everything. Yes. So everything you do, you have to hide behind a tree or something. 
it's actually it's quite like British. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I apologise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas the Dutch thing, yeah, you know, the no. Dutch accept that every square inch of their country has been hand manipulated four, five, six dozen times. Yes, it's artificial. Because they've been there so long, yeah. and it's all artificial. But there's a yeah. lot of nature there in the way of vegetation and you know natural enjoyment. But it's not nature in the sense of it being um, original nature. And we've fucked this country over so much that when you fly over it, it's not a square inch of it that we haven't oh, yes. yeah. had our presence visible, uh, even if it's a driveway or a road through, through a landscape. I like that you use the idea of the batch being a subversive act that has over time become impossible to build yeah, and is. Mm. is now a lifestyle choice uh, and mm. a kind of, for many, um, an excessive kind of, I mean, just a, an extra house, really. Yeah, yes. oh, they are. It's, it's, it's so hard. I mean, we do a lot of them. We build a lot of them. Yeah. But yes. I think the, um, the, the the role that I th- we've taken on with a lot of the batches that we've done, which are big houses, you know, they like are. five, I six storey, five, six bedrooms, more, some of them. One of the roles is to design them so that they're as unpretentious as we can make them, although, you know, that's a big ask given the size and the money involved. Mm-hmm. But also break them down into smaller mm. units and, and encampment. The idea of encampment has been something that's driven me for years. Yes. So take a big house and break it into four or five elements so that you have to walk outside from one to the other and they create a kind of sense of the landscape um, courtyard using the landscape and the space between, etc. So you are more like on a campsite, very conceptually, yeah. <laughs> than uh, in a big house plonked in the middle of a bay. So this is a tiny version of that being, you know, mm. we do have to, we could have joined it onto that house, but we wanted to walk, walk outside, outside and yeah. night and get wet feet and stuff like oh, that. Oh, so yeah. You know, you, you, know, you know that you're not at home, actually. You know that you're... Given the choice, would you design beach houses to be smaller? Those are the clients wish for them to be a f- massive kind of... Oh, thing? we always try to talk them out of making them as big as they want them to be. It's interesting. Sometimes mm, we can do that, sometimes we can't. And, and such a hard one to mm. fight for an architect, I think. Yeah. I think so. You know, and because often, they push, because it's their money and they are, you know. But also people, especially if they're people who haven't built before, they'll, they'll design for the extreme situation. So they'll imagine, I mean, we do, we've got one and we're doing um, Waiheke at the moment for a Kiwi woman and an English bloke. And he imagines designing it for when all of his family are here and all of her family are there, so there's about 100 people on site, so yes. we have to cater for that. We keep saying, is this going to happen once in five years? He said, oh, yeah, probably if that. I said, well, why are we designing it like this? You know, let's, let's, let, when that happens, you can get some tents or something, you know, just build a smaller place. We're sort of successful, but he still yeah. wants a lot of everything. As somebody that's lived in a very mm-hmm. tiny little house and had flat parties of 100, I can yeah. attest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you don't right. need a big space. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, the grandkids have stayed here, you know, with mates. Oh, with and nine God, people easy. or whatever, in, ten people. In the one room, and yeah, you know, no trouble. Here and yeah, there and on which the is great. And, you know, yeah. and there's so, so many lost opportunities. I mean, we had yeah. a, a project once we were engaged to do a, a house on a bay, an international client. And they wanted to bring a, a style from um, North America and just put a big, huge house in the middle of the bay. And I said, no, that's not appropriate. So we designed a house that was spread around and followed the landscape and left the space in the middle of the bay free as a sort of, so that the bay was reinforced and um, more visible in a way. And um, 
they said, no, no, we want to do this, we want to put this big house, that's what we want. So we just had to say, well, sorry, we can't, we're not going to do it. But it was just, and, and they did it, and that's horrible. Yeah, then you they know, go into a different awful. architect, and of course they give you exactly what you want. So, um, and it's just another act yeah. of uh, colonisation, really, you know, which is. is totally disrespectful to the land itself, let yeah. alone to the culture mm. that's gone before. Um, I can't believe that it's been, what has it been, seven years since you've painted this? Yeah. It's just aged... Oh, I chem wash it every, every, oh, yeah, every, every year it gets a good chem wash. So you co-designed it with the yeah. architect? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we told it what we wanted. It's three and a half thousand square metres right in the middle of town with no one knows if you're home or not. The architect must have been so proud of this. He was, yeah, but he died. Architecture might strive to be permanent, but a building is always uh, building and rebuilding itself. Static buildings facilitate verbs, using, walking, sitting, eating, shopping. Architecture is often designed with a structured brief and a crystal clear intention. But as the building ages, its fixed walls become a vessel for other interpretations. The idea is crystalline, but the fact is fluid. Fluid is like, sounds kind of gross, but a substance that has no fixed shape and yields easily to external pressure. What changes when we begin to see architecture as fluid more than static? What changes when we see buildings as venues instead of buildings? The building as a venue is not meant to be long-term, you know, like a party will end, the sun will come up, and at the end of it, the building will no longer belong to the event. However, the event as it's represented by, say, its posters might remain on the building's facades, and bit by bit, they'll rip away for the next few weeks after the party's been replaced by another event. I cannot see what I cannot explain, so instead, we dance. The body is not caught between two buildings. The building is caught between all of these glorious bodies. Permissions have been ruptured to allow the interior and the exterior atmospheres to each experience themselves. Talking, dancing, grinning, smoking, spitting, clicking, fanning, finding. And it's wallless and, and breathing like a canopy under one moon. Have, they are like uh, nostrils, you could say. They yes. are breathing um, uh, spaces that actually bring light into the room, which mm. is, is um, yeah, makes it very special. They're quite bodily spaces. Yeah, the yeah. way you both work in your practice and your day-to-day -day life feels like it's really imbibed in this place. Even to describe a uh, like a, an opening as a nostril. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> and I also just, when you, uh, I don't know whether you intended when you said that, Pete, but um, it also made me think of not just the land, but the community that's already here as yeah. well. Yeah, mm. very and, much. Um, and, and the Sai history and um, what's happening around at the time. And that's the where the richness will come from. And the difference between great buildings and good buildings is that architectural yes. um, and poetry and romance. <clears throat> in the dark future, I've got a lighter and a high-vis. 
where I try to live righteous and live under rich white kids. Why? Cause I plan to stay alive and keep my joints alight. But my knees fucked up, my back hurts, my bank's dirt. But I wake up every morning, have a shower for breakfast, chuck on my hivers, then I get to work. Where the new stock of broken workers. But it's not what we planned when we were kids. I wasn't a planned kid. Traded some headspace for some space head and some blankets. I sat with the black kids in the back of the class in our lower class, this our one school. Where we had more chance of orchestrating a crime than playing an instrument. The band of bandits. Lunch meant bull rushing to the teacher's bandit. Big hits were the standard, but they didn't understand it. They didn't understand us, just thinking they can rank us. So I just fucking ran cuz, and I just kept on running, till I was chasing tail in the rat race. I chased the hood rat bait, the flat rate of minimum wage. I exchanged my blood for your chump change, some bloody fucking money, because I thought that a band-aid would fix a bad day. But then the rain came and couldn't dilute the blood spill from excessive overtime. The living righteous trying to make sense of a dollar sign. Wake, shower, work and die. And in this lifetime our prayers never made it as high as the pair of Nikes on the power line. But I cross every line to get on top like a fraction. Non-stop action to go limp like a fractured shin. Hobble around, chuck some mice on it then get back at it again. I became a slave to the same system they trapped my dad in. But I tell my mum I make it even if all I have is broken addiction and a drug addiction. A hoary complex. But I say fuck it. Ko jai naranoa saukruk ahu. I'm 21 years old, trying to live righteous, because I'm tucky where it's finest. That's it. That's the episode. Thank you so much to Jai, our poet, for this episode. Do you swear on your thing? Do I want me to censor myself? I meant to ask this stuff before, eh? Cheers. Of course, to Bypass Journal and Araki, our sound designer. Special shout out to Max Rodhouse, who co-wrote the uh, karaoke segment Pete and I read out uh, earlier in the show. Thank you so much to Pete and Miriam, who let me interview them at their batch. Nga mahi nui. Have a nice day, everybody. <laughs>